It's not the subject matter or the content that I take issue with. It's the potential harm that could and often does come to people who find themselves starring in these videos with no way for the viewer to know if that person did what they did in the video consensually. The simple fact of the matter is that you never know how much of the content that is uploaded without specific branding is ethically produced or distributed and you might be consuming content that is in fact illegal. In 2015, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children received reports of 6.5 million videos or other files out there for public consumption. In 2017, that number was 20.6 million. In 2019, it was 69.2 million. Houston, we have a problem. Choose wisely what you consume. It's not like there isn't a treasure trove of content out there to choose from. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists, and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective. And a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And, and it's, it's time, time to get unbound. You know, while I really detest the way Christianity insists that we adopt their predetermined moral code, I have to admit, Developing your own can be a tedious and often exhausting process. Mm. On the one hand, you want to do what's right. On the other, there are many, many voices and opinions trying to steer us in one direction or another. And better still, there aren't always concrete answers to what's right and what's wrong. Sometimes you have to do some digging, consider all possible points of view, and make some decisions about how we as individuals are going to approach certain concepts. And tonight's topic is one of them. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And tonight, we are going to talk about the many questions that arise on the subject of porn. We're not going to try to sway your opinion about whether it's right or wrong to engage with that kind of content. That's not our job. Our job is to present the big picture and help you make your own decisions. It's not as much about personal ethics as it is about personal responsibility, and that is going to be the focus of the conversation this week. But before we get into that, Two separate attacks on personal liberty make up our Christians Behaving Badly segment tonight, one that shows evangelicalism's true colors on multiple levels, and one that shows what the consequences should be for attempting to indoctrinate the young. It's Christians Behaving Badly, Ready, Aim, Ire edition. Nice. What have you got for us tonight? Well, first, more and more Christian nationalists are saying the parts they used to keep quiet out loud. A prime example of this is former Republican lawmaker and candidate for governor of Mississippi, Robert Foster. He recently tweeted out to the entire tweeting public that he thinks that people who stand up for trans rights should be shot. Literally shot. By firing squad. That's, yes. That's just fucking amazing. Yeah, it's, it's just it's not over the top or anything. The tweet reads, some of y'all still want to try and find political compromise with those that want to groom our school-aged children and pretend men are women, etc. I think they need to be lined up against a wall before a firing squad to be sent to an early judgment. What a nice man. What a nice guy. When the Mississippi Free Press asked for comment, he doubled down on his opinions. I said what I said. I hate that phrase. I know. I hate that phrase. I said what I said. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I heard you. And it was Dumb. infuriating the first time. Yeah. 
The law should be changed so that anyone trying to sexually groom children and or advocating to put men pretending to be women in locker rooms and bathrooms with young women should receive the death penalty by firing squad. Of course, these things aren't true. People who support trans people only want those people to be able to have all the same rights as everyone else and to make sure they're able to be who they need to be in safety. Why are we discussing this guy? Maybe this kind of rhetoric could simply be ignored if Foster was a random online troll, but he's not. Oh, he sure is not. He served two terms in the Mississippi State House from 2017 to 2020 and ran for governor in 2019. Even though he placed third in the Republican primary that year, he was able to snag up over 67,000 votes. He may well run again for higher office in the future. And the scary part about that is that there's 67,000 people who agree with him on enough points to vote for him. And how many of them agree that people who just advocate for trans rights should be executed by firing squad? I wonder how many of those people he put that thought in their head and now that's part of their ideology. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he's not alone. Not by a long shot. 67,000 votes. Yeah. His old campaign site enthusiastically relates how he's consistently pushed for a Christian nationalist agenda. This is in addition to all the lies about COVID he's spread and his complaining about how the 2020 election was stolen. The sort of guy who thinks the Republican governor of Mississippi isn't Republican enough. His desire to have his political enemies murdered is right on brand for this guy. It's right on brand for a lot of people who think this way. Oh, yeah. I remember when MySpace was still a thing. Mm -hmm. I was chatting with somebody that I knew from college. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And he was just sort of like saying right out loud, it's like, he thinks liberals should be shot. Given the particular source, yeah, and I know who I know precisely who you're talking about, right? But given the particular source, that doesn't surprise me in the least. I understood this guy's ideology and the way that he thought way back in the day. Yeah. So it didn't surprise me to hear him say anything like that. You know, this is somebody that you know I had a love hate relationship with <laughs> when we yeah. were in school. And it was mostly because of shit like this. Yeah. But, you know, he's in such good company. And this was MySpace days. We're talking, what, 2002, 2003, somewhere in that neighborhood? So this kind of thinking, not new. Not even remotely new. And when you've got a mouthpiece like someone who holds public office, someone who served two terms in the Mississippi State House, it goes from mildly irritating to downright dangerous. Yeah. Pouring gasoline on a fire like this is dangerous business. And the fact that he had the support of 67,000 people in the last election is terrifying. It tells me that we need to keep doing what we're doing and do it with the same kind of ferocity that these people push their rhetoric. I think that it's important that, you know, the, the counterpoint not only gets out there, but gets out there in a way that causes people to listen. Right. Because there's way too many people listening to assholes like this. Oh, yeah. And his his opinions came from somewhere. They didn't just crop up in his own head. They came from somewhere. And this is what I'm always talking about, how it just, it's a juggernaut that's been going on for a long, long time. 
and gaining momentum for a long, long time. And it all has to do with indoctrination, usually of children, from the time that they can understand. And these thoughts take root, and that's that. This is how that person is going to think. And we can see right here that there is a lot of agreement and support for the way that he thinks. It's terrifying, but it's also motivating. Yeah. It's motivating to just keep doing what we're doing and get that counterpoint out there. The sheer absurdity of this and the complete and total lack of the love that these people are supposed to be showing each other. This is my commandment, that you love one another, that your joy may be full. Yeah. This is why you have no joy. This is why you're so fucking angry about everything all the time and why you're so fucking afraid of anyone who's just a little bit different than you mm. because you have not figured out how to do that one simple thing and simply love people for the people that they are, not for the people that you think they should be and not because you're so fucking afraid of them that you just want to eradicate them from your universe, yeah. put a bullet in them and just make them go away. Mm. That's evangelicalism 101. You know, we don't like this, so let's make it go away. And let's make it go away by force if we need to. Yeah. So on the heels of that, we're going to talk a little bit more about the concept of personal liberty. Yeah. And this time, the right side came out on top. Yeah. So yeah. we don't get a whole lot of feel-good stories. Especially from Texas. True. Difficulty Texas. Yes. Yeah. Difficulty so, level Yes, absolutely. And the first story, kind of infuriating, kind of makes you, I don't want to say lose hope, but it makes you less hopeful for the future of your country and at least certain parts of your country and what this kind of thinking is doing and continues to do. And then you hear about something like this where the good guys win. So let's talk about that. Yeah. American atheists have helped a Texas teenager win a settlement against a teacher who bullied her for not saying the Pledge of Allegiance. The Texas Association of School Boards will have to pay $90,000 to end the case before it ever goes to trial, a decision that suggests they knew how this would play out and wanted to avoid a future further catastrophe. In 2017, when the original lawsuit was filed, Then 17-year-old Mary Lee Oliver was a student at Klein Oak High School in Texas. She didn't want to stand during the Pledge of Allegiance for personal reasons. Specifically, she doesn't believe our nation is truly one with liberty and justice for all, and she didn't want to pretend like it was. Good for her. Yeah. Her teachers and principals, completely ignoring the law that allows students to sit out while the pledge is recited, constantly punished her for her decision. The allegations in the lawsuit are definitely worrying. As a freshman, Oliver was written up for not saying the pledge. Even when she talked with the principal about it, he took the teacher's side and he said he could write her up because of his military service, as if that defended anything. You've got to be kidding. Over the next two years, things did not get any better. She was constantly written up, and not one administrator ever took her side. That's not surprising. Not there. No, it really isn't. When Oliver was a junior, her protest resulted in a classmate standing up and calling her a bitch. That same student later posted pictures on Snapchat, including one with the caption, like, if you don't respect our country, then get the fuck out of it. 
Despite a forced apology in front of the principal, the same student later told another classmate with an earshot, there's the bitch that sits for the pledge. Eventually, Oliver's mother withdrew her from school in order to homeschool her at an expense of over $10,000. Wow. That's expensive. That's very expensive. And just the sheer fact that this person just couldn't go to school, get her education without being harassed from the administration down, just because she sees things the way that they are and doesn't want to be lumped in with all these mindless automatons that just say these words without ever understanding what they mean. I don't think a whole whole lot of people have ever once, in all the years that they've been saying these words in school, in other settings, I just have to wonder how many of them have actually thought about what those words mean and how much truth there actually is in it. Because with all due respect, the Pledge of Allegiance is nothing but propaganda. Oh, yeah. That's it all was. it is. It's It perpetuates this notion that we're the, quote, greatest nation on earth, and we're far from it. Our country is a fucking laughingstock in most yeah. of the world. People laugh at us the way we do things, the way that we treat our citizens, the way our government is run. It's a fucking laughingstock. Yeah. And the concept of liberty and justice for all, um, not when you've got someone in public office who is able to say things about people who support trans people being shot and being able to do it with impunity. There is no liberty or justice associated with that. And it certainly doesn't extend to all. If that's the type of thing that you can say as a public official and not only get away with it, but have people agree with you, there's no liberty or justice associated with that. No. So she's one thousand percent right yeah oh of course things didn't improve during her senior year oliver came back to klein oak and was back in that sociology teacher's classroom the bully presumably passing the class the year before wasn't there but the teacher benji arnold decided to step into that same role according to the lawsuit arnold told students that sitting for the pledge was a privilege not a right and that people who sit for the pledge are unappreciative and disrespectful, stating that all they do is take from society. You know, qualify that fucking statement. I know. Qualify that statement. Explain to us how and why. Because you disagree? Yeah. Is that what it boils down to? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably. These people, they're, they're just, oh, they're, they're, they're infuriating. Yeah. This is this whole thing is rage inducing. Oh, I it said is. This was the this was the feel good story. This is the feel good story. The it's story. still the feel good story. That's sad. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Just keep listening, folks. There's a happy ending here. I promise. Yeah. He also, on another occasion, compared people who res- who refused to say the pledge to Soviet communists, members of the Islamic faith seeking to impose Sharia law, and those who condone pedophilia. This. People like this are way, way more on the side of things with Sharia law. I know. I than just, some kid who doesn't want to, who doesn't want to say words she doesn't believe in. Right. He told students to transcribe the words of the pledge as an assignment and gave Oliver a failing grade when she refused to play along. At one point, Arnold played Christian music in the classroom and stared at Oliver continuously as the song played. Oh, you know what? Be thankful that I was not 
this child's parent. I know. And that I wasn't an atheist at the time, yeah. you know, because I would have breathed a whole hell of a lot more fire on this situation. Oh, yeah. This finally was the impetus for the lawsuit that Oliver and her mother filed with the help of American atheists. While many of the defendants named in the lawsuit were dismissed, the one against her sociology teacher, Benji Arnold, stood. Good. This guy's a fucking bully. Oh, yeah. He's a, he's a butt. Wor- worse than any of her peers. Yeah. Arnold's defense was that he was immune. He said under Texas law, Oliver was required to say the pledge, barring a written exemption from her mother, which is in dispute, and that forcing students to write the pledge on paper was a general assignment and not a form of retaliation. Of course it wasn't. Yeah, right. In other words, he didn't violate her constitutional rights, much less do so in an egregious way at, so as to put himself at risk. But you did. But he You did. totally did, because he, forcing someone to say something is a violation of their freedom of speech, because, guess what, not only does freedom of speech not guarantee you an audience, but it also protects you against having to stand up for causes and concepts that you disagree with. Right. You can't shove words into people's mouths any more than you can shut them up. You can choose not to listen, but you can't start shoving words into people's mouths. Right. You can't force them to say things that they disagree with or don't believe. That is part of freedom of speech. That's the way that works. Mm -hmm. Last June, the traditionally conservative Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that the case could indeed move forward, dismissing Arnold's attempt to have the whole thing tossed out. American atheists hailed the step forward, with the student's lawyer saying Mr. Arnold should have been teaching students about American freedom, not American intolerance. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but amen. Yeah, right? The case was heading for what would have been a highly embarrassing trial when the defendant's legal team decided to settle. Non-religious students often face bullying or harassment for expressing their deeply held convictions, said Nick Fish, president of American Atheists. No one should have to endure the years of harassment, disrespect, and bullying our client faced. The fact that this happened in a public school and at the hands of staff who should know better, is particularly appalling. After nearly five years of litigation, the defendant finally made the only smart decision and agreed to settle the case. And you know what? They really lowballed it. Oh, they did. They really, really lowballed it. I mean, we're talking about years yeah. of harassment that this person went through. $90,000 may seem like a lot of money to some people, no. but in the context of something like this, it's pocket change. But the other side of that, to me anyway, is that it didn't become about greed. It didn't become about the money. It started and ended as a means of making a point and doing something punitive right. to this school district. And there needed to be some kind of punitive action for this. Yeah, so, definitely. you know, kudos to them for actually taking the settlement and doing this the right way. Because this really should not have been... A get-rich-quick kind, of, kind no. of thing. It wasn't what they were going for. No. What they were going for was to make all of this bullshit just stop. Right. That was the point. So the school district got spanked with a $90,000 bill. 
Right. Um, it could have been in the millions. Yeah, they would it have been within. They would have been within their rights to demand millions at that point. Of course. But that's not what it was about. No. The school district got the little slap that it deserved, and hopefully, this is going to serve as a warning to other teachers, administrators, people who try to shove their own rhetoric down other people's kids' throats and force them to to at least give lip service to things that they don't believe. Right. This decision and the way that this whole thing panned out sends the right message. Yeah. And I do hope that in other areas where this is happening, and believe me, it's happening in other oh, areas. Oh, of course. It has to be happening in a lot of other areas. And to anyone who is actively engaging in this sort of thing, think twice. Yeah. Because there's precedent now. Mm-hmm. And on that happy note, <laughs> our Patreon is active at patreon.com slash unbound podcast network. Any amount that you can help us with is going to be greatly appreciated. It will be put to good use. It will be used to help more people get and stay unbound. That is our purpose. That is why we're here. That's why we come back week after week. Let me tell you, folks, I'm tired. I'm a tired spider. I really, really am. But I'm not so tired that I'm going to shut up about this anytime soon. Mm. So whatever you can do for us is going to be greatly appreciated, and it is going to make a difference. Thank you in advance for at least considering helping us out monetarily. But there are many other easier and less expensive ways that you can help us too. So again, talk about us. That is number one in terms of importance. Podcasts get spread by word of mouth more than anything else. So talk about us and let's fight this fight together. Let's keep fighting this fight together and let's help some people get their lives back because there are enough people out there who think like this asshole mm -hmm. and don't want to let people be themselves or, you know, I, I think that's the running theme in both of these stories yeah. is that it's a bunch of religious assholes that don't want to let people be themselves, think for themselves and develop their own sense of who they are and what they're going to choose to believe. So there's a lot of that going on out there and we need to keep exposing it and we need to keep giving the counterpoint and we need to keep saying this is wrong. And we need to keep educating people who have been part of this religion for a while about what it's really all about. And you can help us with that, with your dollars and with all the other things that we've mentioned. Next week is still to be determined. You know, my brain's going in a lot of different directions. The 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 inertia and the and the pace of this job and everything that it entails. You know, I love what I do. Right. I really do. I don't dread going to work at all. I think that what I'm doing is vitally important in the community and I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm happy to have the role that I have, but you know, time and just having those couple of minutes out of my week to just be able to think about things like what I want to talk about next on my show. Those moments right now are kind of at a premium. <laughs> so surprise episode next week. And after that, we're going to be coming back with our next Unbound at the Movies, where we will be reviewing the movie The Spirit of Albion. If you didn't tune in a couple of weeks ago, this is a movie from our Wicca days. Yeah. So not a lot on the evangelical front, but this movie is actually surprisingly evangelistic. Yeah. And it excited me back in the day because that's where my head still was. Mm. And it's like, you know, this is this is kind of an interesting concept. 
But like I've said many times before, religion is religion is religion. And we're going to take that movie apart and show how it displays the same kinds of toxicity, but at the same time delivers it in a way that a lot of people haven't heard before. You know, I think in some ways that can be even more dangerous. Mm. We loved this movie back in the day. Oh, yeah. But it's not a big Hollywood production. It's just this little art house kind of thing started out as a play, as as, yeah. a, as a, a youth group kind of play. Yeah. And I had my experiences with those yeah. youth group plays and, and skits. Yeah. It, it was familiar. It was definitely a familiar... A familiar plot line, a familiar delivery. Yeah. You know, it really did take me back mm. to our teen talent days. Yeah. And just the way that the whole thing is presented. And bonus, it's a musical. Yes. Which, you know, I've talked many times before about the power of music. Well, guess what? It's not just for evangelical worship oh, services. No. It's not just for modern praise and worship. The artist whose music is at the center of this was one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. And his music moved me every bit as much as any praise and worship song ever did. So we're going to get into that in two weeks. Next week, to be determined, come back for a surprise episode next week. I'll have it figured <laughs> out by then. But for right now, let's just dive into our main topic and really take apart this question. Is porn ethical? And let's see if there's even an answer that we can come to. So if you consume porn, regardless of your religion or lack thereof, you're in good company. Porn is a huge industry and has been for decades, centuries if you want to get really technical. But for the purposes of this conversation, we're going to look exclusively at the most modern examples. There has been a significant shift over the past couple decades in how porn is delivered and how it's marketed. In years past, it existed in a couple specific forms, usually print content and film. In the good old days, porn producers made their money the old-fashioned way. They had a physical product to sell, they marketed it to their target audience, and people bought it. The concept of sex sells is not at all new, and porn has always been a popular commodity. The internet changed literally everything about porn. All of a sudden, there was a ton of free content out there, much of it involving a few sample images or a 30-second video clip that existed for the purpose of selling the rest of the content in a gallery or on a website. But it did take a while for the internet to have a significant effect on traditional media. After all, it took forever to download anything on dial-up, and streaming video didn't happen until much later. Currently, the global porn industry is worth nearly $100 billion, and they managed to rake that in with an amount of free content that would literally take centuries to watch if you streamed every pornographic video in existence back to back. So how do they do it? Where does all that money come from? Well, it comes from the same place it always has. It starts with paid ads on related sites, and then there are various ways the money is made, and usually more than one person or entity makes money on the ad. Money is generated via impressions, click-throughs, and conversions, and at each of those steps, money is also changing hands. An impression refers to the number of times an ad is seen. The number of impressions relates directly to the amount of money the advertiser pays the site on which they're advertising. Larger production companies can dwarf smaller ones by always outbidding them for ad impressions. Click-throughs make even more money for the host site because that means someone not only saw the ad, but was interested enough in the content to click or tap to learn more. 
The big money is in conversions. That means that someone saw an ad, clicked through, and made a purchase. This model works with virtually all internet marketing types. Ads have been the lifeblood of a lot of most entertainment mediums since the advent of advertising, and the cost of producing ads has gone down considerably over time. That means that even smaller content producers can create ads and have enough money left over to be able to generate enough impressions to turn a profit even on huge sites like Pornhub. Now, I want you to bookmark all of that as we continue the conversation because it is significant. Let's understand this before we continue, though. There's porn that is made ethically and porn that is not. One of the key factors that blurs those lines considerably is this. Were you able to access it for free? In that instance, it is difficult to determine whether or not what you're watching or viewing was made or distributed with consent. There are exceptions, just like what I talked about a couple of minutes ago. Plenty of established companies and producers will give you a small taste of what they're offering in the hopes that you'll want to see more, and that's what drives the traffic to their site, and that's what creates those conversions. But what I'm talking about primarily here is user-uploaded content. It is raining like cats and dogs outside our house right now. <laughs> this is what happens when your dining room is also your studio. So uh, apologies if the deluge going on outside is making it through. But what I'm talking about primarily here has more to do with user-uploaded content, stuff that doesn't go through professional channels, that just gets uploaded by quote-unquote regular people. And you really have no idea where a lot of that comes from or whether or not it was made with the consent of the people that are involved in it. And consent, ladies and gentlemen, is important. If you wouldn't want strangers watching you have sex, then you need to respect other people's privacy, pure and simple. Sadly, that aspect of it is just the tip of the iceberg, though. As late as the early 2000s, the vast majority of porn was sold through traditional sources and internet content was almost exclusively subscriber-based. Then several things happened. First, internet connections started getting faster. Cable modem was a thing in the late 90s and people oohed and odd over being able to download a huge 10 megabyte file in under a minute. <laughs> the problem was that video content files were usually much larger and hard drives didn't have a fraction of the storage space modern computers or even phones do. For a long time, most online porn existed in the form of pictures. Not a lot of video. It was out there, but there was a lot less of it. A lot of times, the pictures were put out there to sell DVDs or to sell subscriptions to the site that hosted the thumbnail gallery that you were looking at at the moment. But as technology improved, computers got faster and more powerful, and internet speeds just kept getting faster and faster, and eventually streaming video became a thing. On February 14, 2005, the world was introduced to a website called YouTube. In the early days, it was nothing but a bunch of low-resolution, super short videos that people uploaded to the site. It wasn't great, and that's putting it lightly. But over time, streaming technology also improved. It took advantage of ever-increasing internet speeds, and it afforded sites like YouTube the ability to host videos in higher resolution with fewer playback errors. Netflix started streaming content as a companion to their postal mail-based DVD rental business, and that was kind of shitty at the beginning, too. I'm not even going to lie. The resolution was really, really low. Some of that stuff was basically unwatchable, even on a decently high-speed connection. But that all started in 2007. 
as time went on, the tube site concept got the attention of the porn industry. Only one problem. Tube content is generally free with ads. Now, all these companies who were making money on image gallery sites and selling physical media felt the push to go to digital. And while a lot of these sites popped up around 2008 or 2009, many of them didn't last long. Most of the issue was that whenever someone decided to start a tube-style site that was porn-based, they completely underestimated the bandwidth it would take to sustain it, and there also wasn't enough relevant advertising at that point to really sustain what they were doing or expand their networks so they could actually start delivering something that was a little bit better quality. So the quality wasn't there, the money wasn't really there at that point, and it would take a little bit longer for this juggernaut to take shape. As a result of all of that, only a few companies came out on top, the ones with a lot of money already. Sites like RedTube, XHamster, and a little site called Pornhub were three that actually made the cut. These days, it comes down to just a small handful of companies running the biggest and most successful porn sites, the biggest of which is a company called MindGeek. Here is just a small list of properties that this company owns. First, they own three of the biggest tube sites out there. They own RedTube, Uporn, and Pornhub. They also have a network of production companies that include Reality Kings, Brazzers, Digital Playground, Mofos, Twisties, and Fake Taxi, among others. And the list just goes on from there. Why this is significant is that having the power of some of the biggest tube sites out there and a laundry list of production companies so extensive that you're more likely to be consuming content owned and distributed by MindGeek than not, MindGeek has the power to distribute a ton of premium content that they don't have to purchase ad space to sell. Produce, upload, and make the content premium, and it's all done in-house, with the only overhead being the production costs for the content itself. In the meantime, there's an endless ocean of user-uploaded free content, not a small amount of which is bootlegged from a bunch of MindGeek properties, and all of it basically becomes promotional content. Users see the watermark on a 60-second clip, and they go looking for the rest of the video. I'm reasonably convinced that it's MindGeek doing a lot of the uploading of their own free content themselves just to generate more click-throughs and get conversions on the full-length versions of their videos. But the real lifeblood of tube sites is user-uploaded content, and here is where we start running into trouble. When you see a Twisties watermark on a video, you know that it's content that was produced through a studio using performers who have given consent for their images to appear in videos. The performers usually have to start each shoot by stating on camera that they're agreeing to have sex on camera and that they understand that the content is being produced for distribution. The stuff that clearly isn't professionally produced, has no watermarks, and isn't produced under a studio's channel or other entity and can originate anywhere. It is not subject to age verification like professional studios, and you never know if anyone in the video even has a clue that the content has been uploaded to a global porn network accessible by anyone who taps a button that says I'm over 21. Pornhub in particular has had multiple problems since its inception revolving around several key and very dark areas in user-produced porn. Revenge porn, child porn, and non-consensual content that include things like spy cams and other forms of content wherein the participants are unaware that their images are being distributed and often monetized. And yes, 
There has been plenty of all of these types of niches represented on the various MindGeek sites. Pornhub being the biggest tube site property of theirs, have found themselves in the crosshairs more than once, and with good reason. There's a ton of user-uploaded content on their sites that has no business being there. At one point, Pornhub deleted a scorching 80% of all user-uploaded content because the insane amount of content out there had become impossible to moderate and was all subsequently deemed outside the bounds of their rules and regulations for that type of content. There was so much user-uploaded content, they would never have been able to review it all and flag the stuff that was questionable and or illegal, so they just dumped the vast majority of it in a sweep. And we're talking about rape videos, hidden camera videos, and videos that feature underage performers, many of whom are victims of human trafficking. And these things still find their way onto tube sites at alarming rates. It doesn't matter that Pornhub took it all down. Yeah. People had already downloaded it and were re-uploading it as fast as they could delete it. That was one of the major problems. And it remains a major problem, but Pornhub has done some things to try and curtail that a little bit. I don't think they've done anywhere near enough. We're going to get into some of the specifics on that in just a few minutes. But even with an arsenal of safeguards and moderation efforts in place, the simple fact of the matter is that you never know how much of the content that is uploaded without specific branding is ethically produced or distributed, and you might be consuming content that is, in fact, illegal. On December 4th, 2020, the New York Times released a scathing investigation alleging that using simple search terms, anyone could uncover a long list of, quote, child rape, revenge porn, spy cam shower videos, racist and misogynistic content, and other forms of degradation, and in some cases, serious bodily harm. They estimated that Pornhub was hosting over 100,000 videos involving people not of legal age, some depicting assault. All of the above are hosted and monetized by Pornhub and continue to be, despite the site's supposed efforts to curtail it. The report noted similarities between Pornhub and YouTube. In both cases, literally anyone can upload content to the site as long as they have an account. In the case of Pornhub, anyone could download site content whenever they wanted with just a basic free account. They have since changed this policy and several others in an effort to appear concerned. Um, they're not. And their safety measures, I'm sorry, they're a joke. They just are. And tons of damage has already been done anyway. So they removed the download feature. Great. But what about all that content that was already out there and being shared around to multiple sites before any of this? And just like I said a minute ago, what about all that content that they took down that people just re-uploaded? Yeah. And kept re-uploading when it disappeared again. <sighs> that's, that's just, it's the cycle of things with us. Now, along with the download ban, which is very easy to work around, their security is also kind of a joke. Pornhub also rolled out updates to its moderation features. Now only verified users can upload content, which is a little better, but really not much. The verification process is not exactly stringent. They also established a, quote, red team of self-auditors whose entire job is to monitor and moderate content and flag material that is potentially illegal. They also work with independent nonprofit partners who are also there to moderate and flag questionable content. They also established a partnership with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children 
to do an audit of the site's content and determine just how much child porn had made its way onto the site over time. In the now iconic article that almost single-handedly turned the porn tube industry on its ear, not hard to do when one company owns almost everything, the New York Times had this to say in an opinion piece titled The Children of Pornhub by Nicholas Kristof, published on December 4th, 2020. That supposedly wholesome Pornhub attracts 3.5 billion visits a month, more than Netflix, Yahoo, or Amazon. Pornhub rakes in money from almost 3 billion ad impressions per day. One ranking lists Pornhub as the 10th most visited website in the world. And then there's this very disturbing bit. After a 15-year-old girl went missing in Florida, her mother found her on Pornhub in 58 sex videos. Sexual assaults on a 14-year-old California girl were posted on Pornhub and were reported to the authorities not by the company, but by a classmate who saw the videos. In each case, offenders were arrested for the assaults, but Pornhub escaped responsibility for sharing the videos and profiting from them. Mm. And if that isn't infuriating enough, search terms like young tiny teen, extra small petite teen, tiny Asian teen, or just young girl net a sea of results. The search term young Asian resulted in an offering of 26,000 videos at the time the article dropped. Christoph goes on to say that Pornhub profited in the fall of 2020 from a video of a naked woman being tortured by a gang of men in China. It is monetizing video compilations with titles like Screaming Teen, Degraded Teen, and Extreme Choking. Look at a choking video and it may suggest also searching for She Can't Breathe. The site suggests searching for She Can't Breathe. Eesh. And okay. I know we all have our likes, we all have our interests, our fetishes, and our kinks. Here's the thing. Find an actual person or group of people to explore them with. Don't go on a tube site and participate in the victimization of people just so that you can get off. Sorry to be so blunt, but it's not the subject matter or the content that I take issue with. It's the potential harm that could and often does come to people who find themselves starring in these videos with no way for the viewer to know if that person did what they did in the video consensually. Was that person of legal age? Was that person consenting? Was that person compensated for their participation? Obviously, there are no answers to that question in most cases of user-uploaded content. And let's be real here. The vast majority of people out there don't care. And that's a problem. And that's why this remains a problem. And by the way, teen is the number one searched term in pornography. Why then would a company like MindGeek, whose revenues are fueled by the type of content an alarming number of users are there to see, do anything to curtail content that might be illegal or non-consensual until someone calls them out? So I want to take just a quick minute to uh, to talk about a girl named Serena Flights. I, it's Flights, Flight is, Flight is, I'm not sure how you would pronounce this, but her story is told in the same New York Times article. And to give you the very brief Reader's Digest version of this, she was coerced by her boyfriend into sending a few naked videos that he then turned around and shared with some of his friends 
and someone in that group of friends decided that it would be a good idea to upload this content to Pornhub. Wow. Yeah. So again, Extreme Reader's Digest version. It sent this girl's life into a tailspin. And not only did she have two, at least two suicide attempts as a result of this, but her life is to this day pretty much a train wreck. It ruined her. It ruined her from the inside out. It ruined her self-image. It ruined her future. And all because she wanted to please her boyfriend. Yeah. And that's where it began. And it just spiraled down into one of the saddest stories of a human being in this kind of a situation that I've seen. And there's plenty more that are even worse. Stuff that you're never going to hear about. Stuff that you're never going to even be able to use as part of that process of deciding what's moral when you click on a tube site and decide what you're going to watch. And just so we're clear, this is not just a problem with one site or one company. Some of the bigger names in social media and even search giant Google have a degree of complicity with this. Depictions of child abuse, again back to the article also appear on mainstream sites like Twitter, Reddit, and Facebook. And yeah, with all that Facebook does to uphold their idiotic community standards, you should see some of the stuff that showed up on my feed just in the last couple of weeks and on groups that are completely and totally unrelated. There are spammers out there right now that are putting some really nasty content up on Facebook. And you're just innocently scrolling through. Hopefully you're not at work. And some of the shit that I have seen just in the last couple of weeks, it's like for all they do to make sure that you don't use the term white trash in a Facebook post, there's an awful lot of hideous and clearly not professionally produced porn that's made its way onto Facebook just recently. And since we brought up Google, guess what? Google supports the business models of companies that thrive on child molestation. Google returns, just for the sake of example, 920 million videos on a search for young porn. Top hits include a video of a naked, very young teen engaging in sex acts on X video, along with a video on Pornhub whose title is unprintable here. Wow. In the New York Times article. And this is a problem that is just getting worse over time. In 2015, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children received reports of 6.5 million videos or other files out there for public consumption. In 2017, that's two years later, just two years later, that number was 20.6 million. In 2019, it was 69.2 million. Houston, we have a problem. Now, here's the real question. Do you think MindGeek cares at all about any of this? Of course they don't. But they also know that there could be consequences ranging from revenue loss to criminal charges if they don't at least demonstrate an aggressive effort to curtail non-ethical and illegal content on their sites. There is still a ton of content out there that exists in an ethical and legal gray area. Pornhub will tell you that they're deleting anything that looks remotely questionable. But first, I don't think they're doing as much as they claim. And second, the criteria they work with is so broad and left largely up to the moderator's interpretation. One person could look at a video and greenlight it, and another could look at it and flag it. Who's right? Who's wrong? 
The short answer is that nobody really knows. So that's where a little thing called personal responsibility kicks in. And I'm going to comment a little bit more on that toward the end. But it's an important part of this equation, a very important part. But here's a question for you. Are there problems even when everyone involved is consenting? Oh, most definitely. In preparation for this week's episode, I rewatched the Netflix documentary Hot Girls Wanted, produced by Rashida Jones, and it starts out with these facts. More people visit porn sites each month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. And more and more of the content consumed is pro-am porn. That means professional amateur porn. Videos featuring paid amateurs with industry professionals, basically. And uh, that's what this entire documentary was about. So I'm not going to get terribly far into all the things that revolve around this one niche, because that's what it is. It is one niche. But this is a niche that does a lot of damage. As the thing opens, you hear this voiceover. And one of the talent agents that we meet in this documentary says, every day another girl turns 18 and every day a new girl wants to do porn. Most women find their way into the industry through these talent agents who are basically glorified pimps. They get a cut of all the work that the girls do and it's not a small cut. And that cut nets them some huge rewards and they don't have to do anything except throw up a website, maybe send a couple of texts, put a girl on a plane, and from there, it's time to get to work. And right. then that is pretty much all these guys need to do. They feel the talent, and there is an endless supply of that quote-unquote talent that reaches out to them. They have to do next to nothing. It, it's amazing how little effort it takes on the point of these people that lure women in particular into this type of thing. Then we cut to some of the girls that are going to be the focus of the documentary, and one of them says, we're going to be stars someday. It's a common perception and goal of women who get into the industry. They're promised a lot, and some of them get it, but at a very, very hefty price. And most of them don't. Most of them don't last more than a month. In fact, the same talent agent says that if a girl makes it a year in the industry, she's had a long career. Usually they're gone within about a month. Yeah. But here's a big problem with this. You know, I'm all for free speech and free expression. But according to Hot Girls Wanted, Twitter is the biggest social media outlet for new porn talent because it doesn't censor most pornographic content. The problem with that, you can get a Twitter account at age 13. And what that means is that all the porn that makes its way onto Twitter can be accessed by underage people without so much as an age verification check. I mean, they ask, they tell you there's a disclaimer that you're about to view adult content, but it's the same thing as any other website. Yeah. All you have to do is tap and say, I'm over 21 and you're in. There's no verification whatsoever. And this is true of sites that sell or market things like alcohol or marijuana or anything else that's deemed an adult product. Right. Every site out there is like this. And it's been that way since the inception of the consumer internet. There's no verification. All you have to do is tap a button that says, oh, yeah, I'm over 18. I'm over 21. And you're just let in. And this entire documentary shows the kinds of things that people, mostly young women, of course, go through in their efforts to make money in porn. And there is some very questionable content out there. One performer who specializes in niches like degradation and forced blowjobs 
says she does it because it satisfies a certain kind of guy's urges. And her thought on this is that if he can watch it happen to a girl on a screen, he might not go out and try to victimize someone himself. Well, that's a nice thought, but it doesn't always work out that way. And that's especially true in the case of younger consumers. Young boys in particular get lots of bad information about what sex is from porn. An older adult is far more likely to understand that what they're seeing is a caricature of sexuality, but what about the 15-year-old who happens upon a forced blowjob video? Remember, lots of free shit out there, and all you have to do is tap and say you're 21 to access it. 30 years in, and website security hasn't matured a day. It's really, really shameful. Yeah. But... Let's bring the conversation back full circle now, and let's address the audience of this show. We have lots of evangelicals and former evangelicals who either never dipped a toe in this pool or have been taught to fear porn for the evil thing that it is. So let's try to answer the original question in this conversation. Is porn ethical? And the frustrating answer to that question is, it depends. As a consumer, I don't think there's much out there that would be considered unethical to consume. Non-consensual porn, child porn, and content that falls under those blankets are clearly unethical, but even extreme niches like degradation aren't necessarily bad. What it boils down to is this. Where are you getting your content? Are you sure you're watching people who want to be watched? Is what you're consuming clouding your view of sex or the role of other people in your sex life? Do you understand that most porn does not realistically portray what sex is or even what a naked body looks like? Is consuming pornography part of your balanced existence or does it take up disproportionate amounts of your time? Let's chat about each of these points in turn just a little bit. First, where are you getting your content? I'm going to give you just a little bit of advice here. If you want to be doubly sure that what you are consuming at least has a snowball's chance in hell at being legit, I'm sorry, but pay for it. Mm. That really yeah. that really is a good litmus test. Because if you're going onto an established site that is run by an established company that has a more traditional marketing model than your average tube site does then you're more likely to be engaging with content that has the consent of all the people involved. Yeah, It's more likely. It's not a given. It's not a sure thing. But it is far more likely for content that you are paying for, that you are engaging with content that people want to be seen. And that is very, very, very important. And that brings me to the second point. Are you sure you're watching people who want to be watched? Well, you're never sure of that when you just go to one of these tube sites and just click on any video you please. You can't know for sure that what you are watching is something that the people involved in the quote-unquote production of that video or those images want you to be watching. Next is what you're consuming clouding your view of sex or the role of other people in your sex life. See, this is, I think, an important one for evangelicals and ex-evangelicals to consider right. because of the sheer number of ways and number of instances that we're bombarded with this notion that sex is something that's bad and we're bad people if we have any kind of sexual drive that doesn't involve someone that we're married to 
or someone that we want to make babies with. And those, and that needs to be the same person. You know, sex outside of marriage is not a good thing. Even though, and I forget what the what the scripture reference is, it just popped into my head. There's that verse that says the marriage bed is undefiled. There are varying interpretations of that. And different pastors will have different takes on what that means too. Mm-hmm. So as evangelicals, we get some really, really bad messaging about sex to begin with. And overlay it with something random that you find on a tube site and it can really skew your image of what sex is and those skewed images can and will make their way into your actual sex life or how you think about your sex life so it's very very important that you understand the difference between fantasy and reality when it comes to what you're seeing people do on screen versus what you are going to experience as a human being out there in the real world Next, you understand that most porn sites do not realistically portray what sex is or even what a naked body looks like. Well, I touched on this just a little bit a second ago, but I'm going to expand on it now. I've said many, many times before that pornography is, in fact, very caricaturish in the way that it presents sex. And a lot of it is very overdone. The way that people respond to each other and behave in these scenes is not exactly what things look like in reality they just aren't some of the positions that these people contort themselves into it's like yeah no one's having any fun with this it looks good but no one's having any fun with this Mm. and then you try and pull some of this stuff off on your own and you realize just how unfulfilling it actually is you know you can't take your cues from porn i mean in some instances it might be fun to just watch something and say, well, maybe we can try this. And that's between you and your partner or partners or whatever it turns out to be. I'm not going to slight it, but just understand that most of what you're seeing out there is far from what reality is going to deliver. It's a very, very important point that you need to ponder with this. And in terms of, you know, just your basic average softcore porn, people, those people don't look like that. They just don't. There are so many tricks, especially in the age of Photoshop. And Playboy was doing this back in the 50s with airbrushing. Mm -hmm. A lot of of airbrushing going on back then to make things look better, to remove, quote unquote, flaws from the equation, all of that. And now when we've got tools like Photoshop, we can create even more skewed images of what these bodies look like. We can make a girl taller. We can make her thinner. We can change her proportions. We can blot out every pimple, every stretch mark, every mole, every anything that doesn't drive the fantasy. Yeah. It can just be taken out. Not getting into specifics because I don't want to, I'm not going to endorse any particular site here, but I've been in chat rooms with certain models on certain sites and some of them are like literally unrecognizable from what you see in their photo sets and what you see in their videos. Unrecognizable because they're just sitting there in their own bedroom. Maybe they already took off their makeup, didn't put any on today, haven't done their hair, whatever it is. They look way different. Mm -hmm. They look like people. Yeah. Whereas in the set that they're trying to sell to that site, they have to look a certain way and they have to drive the fantasy. 
it's never been a turnoff. To me, anyway, it's never been a turnoff to see both sides of the equation. Because right. I already know that what I'm looking at in that photo set is fantasy. And for me, I, I kind of like the notion of being able to uh, explore the reality side of it, too. Right. You know? But it's very, very important to understand that most porn out there, whether it's hardcore, softcore, anything in between, it's trying to convey an ideal. And that ideal for most people is literally unattainable. So very, very little of what you're actually seeing is real or presented in a way that has any real truth to it in terms of what these models and performers actually look like in real life. And this last part, I think, is the most important. Is consuming pornography part of your balanced existence or does it take up disproportionate amounts of your time? So I'm not going to judge anybody for the amount of time that they spend consuming porn. But if you are doing that and neglecting other responsibilities, if you're doing it at work and risking your job, if you're doing it in situations where let's say children can have access to it and see it that's problematic i'm not going to say you have a problem i'm going to say that the way that you are engaging with this content is problematic and you may want to take a step back and ask yourself whether or not it's worth risking your job risking your relationships and in certain instances especially where it involves kids risking your freedom and risking consequences Right. legal not just ethical but legal consequences so be discriminating about how you consume this content and ask yourself whether or not you are spending a disproportionate amount of your day surfing porn when you should be and could be doing other things too there's nothing wrong with a little bit of indulgence i've said it many many times before on this show sin is not a real thing so we're not even going to address the sinfulness aspect of this, but just from a personal mental health, emotional health, and life balance perspective, there's room for this, but don't let it start to consume you. And if it has, then that's something to talk to your therapist about. Right. I'm not going to say that you have a problem, but I will say that this thing is becoming problematic in your life if you've developed an unhealthy obsession with it. So I'm going to get down off my soapbox just a little bit here and try and tie this together a little bit as we say goodnight once again. I really like this particular line from the New York Times article. It says, it should be possible to be sex positive and Pornhub negative. And I think that that says a lot. I think that if I had to encapsulate everything that I said tonight into a single sentence, that would be it. I personally choose the content that I consume very carefully. I steer clear of content I can't verify to be legal or consensual, and I do my best not to contribute to people being exploited, victimized, or abused. And no, it isn't always easy to determine that, but it's far easier when you adopt a traditional model for obtaining and consuming porn. Well, what does that entail? For me, it means two things primarily. Obtaining paid subscriptions to established sites with established brands, and also taking the time to verify that the site has an 18 USC 2257 record-keeping requirements compliance statement. And reputable porn sites have this. They all have this. And it's there to signify that everyone involved in the content, everyone who appears in the content, is of legal age. 
There's usually a blurb that uses these words or words like it on sites that are under compliance with this code. It'll say something like, all of the models were at least 18 years old at the time of photography. In compliance with the federal labeling and record keeping law, also known as 18 U.S.C. 2257 and associated regulations, all models proof of age is held by the custodian of records and that person or entity is always named. Right. Okay. Those are the criteria. Those are the ways that you can be the most sure that what you are consuming is legit. Now let's bring this whole thing around to the individual. Let's be real here. There is no foolproof way to determine that every performer or model on every site you visit was treated humanely through the process of producing content. There is no way to know with certainty that there are things going on behind the scenes that shouldn't. But there are plenty of red flags that we can steer clear of when deciding whether or not we're going to consume specific pieces of content. If you're using a paid subscriber service that is part of a legal, functional, professional production company, chances are you're not participating in sex trafficking, monetizing rape, or contributing to anything immoral, unethical, or illegal. Before you click on a clip of a scene that is clearly not professionally produced, understand the possibility that the person or people involved might not have consented to you doing so. If you wouldn't want someone watching you in those intimate moments, then extend the respect to others you would want extended to you. Choose wisely what you consume. It's not like there isn't a treasure trove of content out there to choose from. And if you're a former evangelical, also understand this. Your perception of what sex is has been skewed from the time you could understand. Be careful what messages you send yourself about it. There's nothing wrong with having specific kinks, but do understand the difference between actors playing roles and what should happen between you and an intimate partner in a real-life situation. Don't teach yourself to think like an abuser, and don't teach yourself to think of women as objects who exist to cater to any and all male fantasies, including rape and other forms of victimization and degradation, because there are plenty of evangelical men and women who think this way. And whether it comes in the form of the transformed wife or degradation porn, the messaging about women is the same, and that messaging is almost always toxic. Lastly, there's nothing shameful about liking porn. You don't have a problem if you consume porn. You aren't sinning when you consume this, that kind of content. Just be sure that you are considering the big picture when you're deciding how to gratify those urges. There are ways that contribute to people's livelihoods, and there are ways that contribute to abuse. Know the difference between the two. Know how to spot the differences between the two. Make good choices. Do what you can to protect the privacy and well-being of people who are participating in porn without their knowledge or consent. The easiest way to do that is to not give questionable content the clicks that it needs to propagate and make money. If more people start consuming porn with a slant toward ethics, it will reduce instances of victimization and force content creators to do things in a way that is ethically based and above board. And I know precisely how pie in the sky that notion is. Mm. And I know how unlikely it is that it will ever happen. But just like the starfish on the surf, that one click that you don't give that video is still one less click that it's going to get. And it's still going to slow the process of that content rising in the ranks so that more and more people see it. Don't worry about what the masses are doing. You worry about doing the right thing on your own. 
And let's just be 1000% clear with this once again. It doesn't matter if it isn't someone you know or love. Approach your decisions about what you consume like it is. Would you be okay with a stranger watching your daughter or your wife or your romantic partner in those contexts? Then don't do it to someone else's child, spouse, or partner. It's do right for do right's sake 101. And thinking like that, doing what's right because it's right, will keep you on a path of personal integrity and help you keep refining that moral code that is so difficult to piece together. And it is. It's a difficult thing when you don't have someone else pulling your strings. But it's far more beneficial to you as an individual to develop that moral code on your own. It will keep you on that right path. But the bigger and better thing that it will do is it will keep you on a path to getting and staying unbound. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.